What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Can I Comment? What's up, man? Is this like its own podcast now? Or like, how does this work? Like, these are just like subset episodes of Vast? Subset episodes. Yeah, they just go up on the, Got it. Go up on the feed. People that want to hear you and I pontificate can listen. <laughs> if they only subscribe to hear the people we talk to, then they can, you know. They can do that too. They or they can, can do both. They could do both. Uh, you really mustn't, darling. I... Um, okay, let me pull this thing up here. So there's a guy I like on Twitter, Josh Howard, and he's a pastor in Rockwall, Texas. I don't know a lot about him. I would say he is a master at taking on the cultural hot topics of the day and commenting on them in a loving but strong, but also a really smart way. Mm -hmm. So he's always mm -hmm. writing threads and stuff about kind of whatever the current mm -hmm debate is he actually just did a really cool one on um mega churches and kind of did this whole thread defending mega churches defending which is, the mega church really which his i think his church is like forty thousand people Forty thousand? yeah like he said something about like his east this easter at his church forty thousand people will come oh okay. so but that means so his church is really like ten thousand <laughs> maybe 20 yeah i don't know i don't know but it's large it's like yeah like i mean our church is like ten thousand totally. that's how many people yeah 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 um but he wrote this, you know, there's this whole conversation, and we, we've talked about it before, that Christianity in the church um, is, uh, it is oppressive, <laughs> spitting out your gum, it's oppressive, it's harmful, um, it is, what are some other words, it's not really impactful in society. I think a stat came out a couple of years ago, which was like, for the first time ever, the majority of Americans uh, believe that, the I'm sorry, the majority of millennials and younger mm. believe that the church holds no practical value right. to Yeah, society. it's kind of like you could put it into two categories, right? Like A, the church is irrelevant. Mm -hmm. B, the church is harmful. Correct. It's those kind of two Correct. strands. Yeah. And we've talked about before, I think a couple episodes ago, sort of we talked about, it's obviously no secret that we're, there, there feels like there's been an upheaval in the church world in the last few years, not just because of pastors falling and institutions falling but also just because people were out of church for so long and mm -hmm. so there's a lot of talk about like church attendance is down yeah sort of like the narrative on church in general yeah has been not positive has been not positive yeah. um and so basically what q josh howerton q josh howerton and the gospel coalition um so he wrote a piece for the gospel coalition a couple of weeks ago and it was titled no christianity is not as bad as you think Five statistics that reveal that it's good for the world. Now, he starts with a caveat, so I'll we'll start with the caveat just to, you know, make sure that people, you know, he's not, he's basically, he's not excusing or ignoring any of the negative things that the church has done, not just in recent history, throughout history. Mm -hmm. He makes the case that we all do. People are messy. Churches are people mm -hmm. and run by go. people. Yeah. So he sort of gives that caveat. Churches are people. <laughs> Period. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Need you say more. Pastor Jude used to always say, we is the church. We is the was church. Was what he always said. Right. Who, who is going to be on the podcast soon? Soon. In May. Looking forward to We're going to talk, uh, well, I guess probably whatever he wants to talk about. Yeah. A lot of stories. So he says the church is basically, not only is it not as bad as you think it is, mm -hmm. but it's actually good for the world. Mm -hmm. And he uses to, stats to uh, prove that. So he goes through five different cultural narratives and he presents a counter argument, okay? So, cultural narrative number one, Christians aren't really pro-life, they're just pro-birth. 
Christians are sometimes accused of being pro-birth more than pro-life. They mm -hmm. pretend to be passionate about the lives of the unborn as a political weapon. The argument goes, but they don't really care about children once they're born, he says, but the data tells a different story. In addition to establishing almost every pregnancy resource center you've ever seen to care for vulnerable women, wow. as well as countless child sponsorship programs, the adoption rate among practicing Christians more than doubles that of the average U.S. household. Christian groups have a proven track record of providing safe alternatives to abortion. Mm -hmm. Yep. Which I think the cultural narratives is Christians just, you know, they, yeah, because they of, pick it in front of Planned Parenthood. Right. They yell and scream mm -hmm. and they do it all for political messaging and not for actual, you know, practical help. Right. So to speak. Yep. Which turns out to be untrue because mm -hmm. the fact is that Christians have invested uber amounts of money mm -hmm. into supporting women yep. to help them ch choose to keep their child and not abort the child. Um, and so the accusation doesn't hold up. Correct. Mm -hmm. Correct. Which is not surprising because biblical Christianity is always going to value life. Um, now, th that accusation is often made in, uh, in the context of Christians are anti-abortion mm -hmm. um, or pro-life, um, but they're not pro-supporting life uh, that is outside of the womb. Mm -hmm. Obviously, those statistics buck up against that accusation. Um, and, but also, I think it, it could be said that... Uh, there are there are there are varying ways to go about being a supporter of life. So somebody, whether they're a Christian or not a Christian, you know, really it's an argument between conservatism and and liberalism. Mm -hmm. And anyway, it, it, it's a whole. <laughs> Sorry. Cultural narrative number two: Christians are sexually repressive and anti-sex, creating a toxic purity culture. Purity culture, he says, has become a boogeyman, a catchphrase, uh, a catch-all phrase big enough to hang every cultural qualm about the Christian sexual ethic on, rather than liberated sex-positive people who can enjoy their sexuality. Those who internalize the church's repressive purity culture will be anti-sex. At least that's the claim, but again, the stats disagree. Church-going conservative Christians are in the category with the most fulfilling sex lives in America. Putting a premium on covenant marriage, it turns out, creates a relational dynamic filled with the kind of passion the world wants us to think is produced only by liberation from scripture's outdated sexual mores. 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 Yeah. Not shocking. No. Obviously. You're in a committed relationship. The relationship is lifelong. Uh, you value and respect one another. Your sex is going to get great. Mm -hmm. And... So, and it will start out not great mm -hmm. and get better. Mm -hmm. And that is the, that is part of the joy of marriage is, is growing in that way. Um, and you don't even need to be a Christian to recognize that that is true. Right. Uh, but how much more so when your relationship is centered in God, uh, and grounded in mutual submission to one another and offered up as a means of worship mm -hmm. to the Lord and, and viewing your sexual expression that way is that's obviously going to lead to something that is so fulfilling, so life-giving. Mm -hmm. Hookup culture, sleeping around, having zero boundaries when it comes to who you sleep with. Uh, 
is is not going to lead to that. Not, That's yeah. going to lead to destruction, bad outcomes. Mm-hmm. Um, and to to have no boundaries is not to be free. Cultural narrative number three, Christianity is emotionally repressive and bad for your mental health. I think before reading even further in what he says here, I think a lot of the way that's talked about in today's culture is um, I've now left the church, I've left Christianity, and I am now liberated to be who, to, to be my true self. Mm-hmm. So I'm happier, I, and I'm happier. Mm-hmm. I can trust me, I can trust my thoughts, I can trust my instincts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and the reason for that is because you have, you have done away with the tension that exists between your inner desire and a transcendent, a, tra- a transcendent, <laughs> yeah. transcendental truth. Um, it's kind of another way of feeling like I don't feel conviction anymore. Yes, yes. Is that right? Yes. I mean, it's like yes. I'm free from conviction, mm-hmm. so now I get to be my true self. Mm-hmm. I would argue, yes, that is correct. And you, you and you feel good as a result. Right. Right. So the data again is different. And this is what's interesting. Again, to the contrary, the data shows church attendance correlated with less depression, less suicide, less emotional pain, medicators such as smoking and substance abuse, greater social support, greater meaning in life, greater satisfaction, more volunteering, greater civic engagement, and children more likely to grow up happy. Shockingly, according to the Washington Times, regular churchgoers were the only segment of the population whose mental health actually improved Improved. during the pandemic Mm. of 2020 and 2021. Wow. So it's almost as if... Going to church is good for your brain. Going to church is good for your brain. Yeah. Well, and being around people that believe what you believe and challenge you mm-hmm. is good for your brain. Well, I think it has something to do with, um, so the, the desire, right, is to do away with the objective, to do away with the transcendent um, so that you can feel better on the inside mm-hmm. so you don't have that, that tension, right? Which all of us are going to have. If there is an objective truth, our feelings and desires aren't lining up with that. And so we can either get rid of the objective truth so that there is no more tension, Mm -hmm. or we can recognize that maybe this is something worth adhering to. Mm -hmm. Um, And when you do that, you're living in harmony. You're like, you're in sync with what's true. And when you're in sync with what's true and you're submitting your desires to God, then you're going to be healthier as a result of that. So it, rather than trying to delete the tension, try to come in, into submission, come into alignment with what God says is true. Um, and the tension is resolved in that way. Now, you're always going to have, because we're all, we're all still sinners, right? Yeah. Like, um, we haven't, we're not experiencing the new heavens and the new earth yet. And so you're still going to have that tension. But again, pretending that something is not true might take away the tension, but mm-hmm. it isn't going to make you healthy in the long run. Mm-hmm. It's just going to be destructive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Talk about the difference for a second between, and I, I love what's said here, um, regular churchgoers, mm-hmm. not just people who believe the Christian worldview, mm-hmm. people who have right theology. And I drilled down into this because we talk so much about a Christian worldview mm-hmm. and right theology. Mm-hmm. Why is it important to uh, couple that with the experiential mm-hmm. nature of being a part of a body. In other words, this thing can't just be intellectual. It has right. to be experiential. Yeah, because we are not just thinking people, we are we are doing people. 
And when you're engaging with your faith physically, like it's, it's, it's requiring your whole self, um, and you're developing certain habits that, that naturally come along with going to church. I mean, that's why you have like a liturgy, right? Like when you go to a church service, it's not just a bunch of random things happening. It's purposeful things happening. It's taking communion. It's, it's raising our hands and singing the songs and opening the word and saying prayers, going up to an altar, going up to an altar, confessing sin. Like those are physical things that you do. And those actually, like when you engage in those habits over the long term, those have ramifications on your health. First, mm -hmm. Cultural narrative number four, Christians don't care about the poor, only political power. In some circles, Christians are cast as being anti-poor. Their truth claims are just power plays, a voting block protecting its power and privilege at the expense of the powerless and underprivileged. The reality, though, is people who pray daily and regularly attend church significantly outpace their irreligious neighbors in generosity to the poor, mm -hmm. both with their time and money. He looks at a couple of studies here. One is people who gave to the poor in the last seven days by donating either money, time, or goods. 65% of Americans who attended church weekly and prayed daily say that they gave to the poor by donating time, money, or goods in the last seven days versus 41% of non-church-going Americans. Mm -hmm. The other one is did volunteer work. Mm -hmm. Americans who attend church weekly and pray daily, 45% of those say they volunteered in the last seven days versus 27% mm -hmm. of non-church going mm -hmm. Americans. So basically the idea here is Christians don't just talk about caring for the poor, they actually do but it. they actually do and it. And they do it in larger measure than, than non-believers. Mm -hmm. And I would just say for good measure that even the percentage of non-believers who are engaging in that kind of activity a big reason that they do that is because of the effect of Christianity upon the world. Until Christianity came along, Roman culture was certainly not given over to being merciful towards the poor. In fact, taking was seen as a form of increasing your honor. Being merciful was almost like a, like a why would you do that mm -hmm, kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Christianity turned that culture on its head and the effect of Christianity over the ages has produced societies like ours where things like giving alms to the poor is celebrated. And so I think we can't even, we can't even just say, well, this is the current effect of Christianity, even in the non-believer category that that still, I would say is the outcome of Christianity's effect on the world, mm -hmm. uh, which is pretty cool. But today you have those groups of, of Christians that are engaging that activity on a regular basis. I like that it linked it to prayer. Mm -hmm. I think that when you're engaging in, uh, prayer daily and you're talking to God and hearing from God, that's going to lead you to do uh, selfless things. And that seems to be the natural outcome. Mm -hmm. Cultural narrative number five, Christianity is gender oppressive, a tool of the abusive patriarchy and creates toxic relationships for women. In the Me Too era, it's critical for us to admit that churches have not always been exempt from the category of the many institutions that have failed to protect women. Hashtag church to is real and shouldn't be explained away, which I think he says, he says this, what I want to argue though, is that our failures in this area are failures to live up to our theology, mm -hmm. not failures inherent in our theology. Mm -hmm. 
Further, as a whole, the data shows that church attendance yields the most enjoyable and least abusive relationships Mm -hmm. for women. Contrary to the narrative, theologically conservative, gender traditional church attending women are in the category of the happiest relationships with the least abuse in the country. Mm, Wow. But the evil patriarchy. The evil patriarchy, though, bro. Like, so there's obviously there's different places you can land as a Christian when it comes to what you believe about the roles of men and women in marriage and in church. Um, and you could be a complementarian, which means you think that those roles are very different. You could be egalitarian, which means that they are more equal. Um, uh, or you could be somewhere in, in between. Um, I would say no matter where you land there, and there are scholars that I respect on either side of that discussion, whose arguments I think are worth hearing. Um, but no matter where you land, if you're if you're living out biblical faith, uh, you are going to have a uh, a healthy marriage where the man is celebrated and uplifted, and the woman is celebrated and uplifted. They may not have the same function, and at some level, we are, you know we're we're all complementarian in that mm-hmm, way. Mm-hmm. Like they're not going to have the same function across the board because one's a man and one's a woman. I know that's a Surprised, but one's a man. And I one's a woman. cannot believe you would say that. I know that was very patriarchal and oppressive of me. But in any case, when you have, you know, like mutual submission, which is the picture that the Bible gives, like we're both submitting to one another. Like one of the phrases I used to describe it is like marriage is like a race to the bottom, and it's it's serving one another, and in that you both are uplifted. Um, now, it's interesting to me that when you think about the curse that God places upon Eve in Genesis is, uh, is basically her desire will be um, in tension with the desire of Adam, that she, that she would be against him. Um, and we, we see that playing out, right, in relationships uh, all the time. And I think the gospel comes in and, and brings healing to that because it pulls us out of our sin of selfishness and brings us into a place of submission and servanthood. Um, and that's what produces those healthy marriages that you're hearing about. Mm-hmm. And that is the outcome of, of their theology, mm-hmm. right? No matter if they're more egalitarian, more complementarian, um, the outcome of their theology is going to be something much healthier than the, the way uh, the world often talks about marriage or the way the world construes patriarchy and feminism and things like that. It's like we're in competition and it's like, you've been oppressing me now. I've got to like exert my will over you. Um, and that's not going to lead anywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He finishes up by saying, we could go on and on. The more one attends church, the less likely that person is to commit a major crime. Children raised in church going households are less likely to be depressed, use drugs or engage in sexual activity outside of marriage. Christian marriages are 35% less likely to end in divorce. One study even suggests church attendance can add up to seven years of your life. There is a massive gap between the perception of Christianity in the world and on social media and the reality of Mm -hmm. who Christians are and what they do. So, And that's the thing, right? Like the majority of Christians are just quietly living their lives, loving their wife, loving their husband, loving their kids, Mm -hmm. going to work, being faithful, not rotting their brain on Twitter and yeah, being unproductive. Mm -hmm. Like that is, that's true across, uh, that's true in America. That's true outside of America, across 
you know, a multiplicity of places and different cultures. When you live the Bible, it is going to produce something healthy. Mm -hmm. Jesus calls it abundant life. Mm -hmm. And so that should, shouldn't be surprising mm -hmm. to us. Mm -hmm. Okay, so 60 seconds level with me here. Someone's listening to this and they're going, ah, right. So the Gospel Coalition and a pastor <laughs> find statistics mm -hmm. that show that their thing is better than the, m more beneficial than the other thing. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of people accuse the church of toxic positivity and never willing to critique itself and never willing to. So like mm -hmm. level with me here. Why is it important that Christians live in the tension between being able to acknowledge some of the faults over the church of, by the way, not the last five years or 10 years, mm -hmm. but since the beginning of mm -hmm. the church mm -hmm. has, has never been perfect, mm -hmm. while simultaneously loving and adoring and believing mm -hmm. in mm -hmm. and speaking up for the church? Why is it even because important that we read this article yep. and go, yeah, I co-sign on that? Because the church is God's. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't mean to be like to offer up just like, you know, a, a religious trope here, but the church belongs to God. It is the household of God. It is the bride of Christ. It is the body of Christ. So you can be uh, a someone who critiques issues. Absolutely. And I think critique uh, in its most healthy form happens in a local context where people are aware of the issues in the local context. Um, and it's it's working towards. Uh, states of, of uh, greater health and greater effectiveness for the gospel. Um, but at the same time, we have to love the body of Christ. We have to celebrate the body of Christ and we have to seek the well-being of the body of Christ. Um, and uh, eventually that means you've got you've to move from being critical mm -hmm. uh, to being a builder, to mm -hmm. being somebody who's all in. Mm -hmm. um, and that's the life that I've chosen to live. None of us are getting out of this thing unscathed. Right. right. We're all going to be impacted. Mm -hmm. It's like, I think we were saying earlier, like church is people. Mm -hmm. So yes, there is going to be, and that's just a fact, mm -hmm. right? And because it's a fact, none of us are going to be untouched by mm -hmm. that because people are hard. Mm -hmm. I'm difficult. You're difficult. Everybody's. Difficult. There's a quote I've heard many a preacher say that I love, and that is, um, you can't be disillusioned if you're never illusioned. Mm -hmm. And that's the idea of, I can believe the best mm -hmm in people. I can believe the best in church. Mm -hmm. I can believe the best in this beautiful thing that we are doing by being a part of the body of Christ. Mm -hmm. But I'm never going to have this illusion that people are always going to be perfect. No, especially because Jesus told us. It, it, it's even it's even understanding that it, it's not just that the church is like, you know, flawed and fractured, but still beautiful. Mm -hmm. it, it's, it's the fact that the church is filled with like unrepentant sinners. Mm -hmm. Like Jesus gives us that picture like there's going to be wheat and there's going to be tares mm -hmm. not everybody who's a part of the church is really a christian right they're not really a part of the church um uh, do you understand what i mean by that theology? maybe we need to i think we need to do a whole a whole episode <laughs> on that one i do but that's a great but when when yeah. when supposed christians don't act like christians um and that is a a pattern of behavior in their life that ends up being destructive and it's never really repented from that doesn't shock me mm -hmm. because Jesus told us that would happen. Mm -hmm. uh, it but, wasn't, it's like, sorry, go ahead. But I was just going to say, but it, it doesn't make me lose hope on the church. It just makes me go, oh, Jesus was right. Right. Well, it's <laughs> like, it's like the idea uh, my friend Chris, our friend Chris always says is he's like, it's funny when culture dunks on somebody, a Christian who fails to live up to the Christian ideal mm -hmm. as though 
that means that the ideal is bad right. or that person is a fraud or fake. No, it's actually just saying, no, I actually, I can't always live up to the ideal. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like it's not, we can't. Mm -hmm. And if we're, and if we have the illusion that we can, then disillusion can come really mm -hmm. quickly. Now that doesn't mean we just don't care and cast away any kind of. It doesn't mean that we're uncritical. Of course, we we want to seek, um, we want to seek the ideal, mm -hmm. uh, and th and that matter. And I understand what people would say. I've never heard that phrase, toxic positivity. That's a funny phrase, but um, I, I understand that. Mm -hmm. You know, all groups have the sinful tendency mm -hmm. to uh, kind of turn a blind eye to their own issues, um, and the church, because it's made up of sinful people, are, are going to face that temptation. Um, I do think, on the whole churches have been, I mean, that's why you have the reformation, right? Like is, is seeing the inadequacy and seeing the immoral behavior in, in the church that made the reformers go, this is not the gospel mm -hmm. and we need to reform. Um, and the heart of the reformation is to always be reforming and to keep coming back to the scripture. And so we're always going to have an ideal to pursue and we're always going to be faced with the reality that we fall short of that. Uh, and that's why churches are communities of grace. And uh, we should seek to show the same grace that we wish to be shown to us. Um, and that's, uh, a, that's just a messy process. Uh, you really mustn't, darling. I...